Hey there, my name is Paul and this is Out of Neutral, a weekly tune-up where we look to the Bible to get in gear and follow Jesus into the life he came to make possible. Today I want to talk about why God didn't just keep us from sinning. So many of life's questions go back to the garden. Why is there so much violence in the world? Why so much hatred? Why is there suffering? Why is there disease? Why is there pain? Because Adam and Eve ignored God and chose the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. According to the Bible, it all started with that fateful decision. But that still begs the question, why didn't God just prevent them from sinning? Couldn't he have just removed the temptation or given them such an aversion to it that they never would have gone near it? Parents put up safety gates for their toddlers to keep them from falling downstairs. Couldn't God just have put a big gate around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Most Christians answer this question with some version of the importance of God granting humans free will. Yes, we put up safety gates for toddlers, but they're not a great idea for teenagers or adults. Real relationships require real trust. And it's in a context of freedom that trust can be given and reciprocated. Parents allow their teenage children to break rules and experience often painful consequences. And that's all a healthy part of the maturing process. Is that all that's happening? Rebecca McLaughlin deals with this question in her book, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the world, World's Largest Religion. She suggests that if the only point of allowing sin was to grant us free will, it renders the whole of human history a cosmic waste of time. Surely there could have been a more efficient way to establish a relationship of trust between God and humanity. She points in another direction altogether. McLaughlin compares the kind of relationship that's possible now compared to before the fall. She writes this, In the early Genesis narrative, Adam and Eve knew God as creator and Lord, perhaps even as friend. But Christians know Jesus far more intimately. The Savior, lover, husband, head, brother, fellow sufferer, and their resurrection and their life. Adam and Eve knew God's love, but there was a limit to how much they could grasp it because they didn't know anything else. If your mom was a three-star Michelin chef, you'd still love her food, but it would be as you tasted other things that you'd realized how good it really was. Having experienced how unloving people can be and even how selfish and shallow our own love can be, we see more clearly the perfection of God's love for us. If we've been kept from sinning, we might always assume that God just loved us because we were so lovable. Many people love their Roomba because it's programmed to clean their floors for them. But we wouldn't celebrate that kind of love. Someone with an unflinching dedication to a hopelessly malfunctioning and even defiant vacuum cleaner would stand out. Through the fall, we see a God who loves the unlovable. We see a God whose love never tires. His love perseveres in the face of rebellion, indifference, and mistrust. Few of us would even pay, pay for our enemy's lunch, but God proved his love by dying for those who would kill him. Probably the most terrible consequence of our sin, humanly speaking, is the pain that it causes. Sin unle unleashed untold suffering in our world. But even that suffering makes a depth of relationship with God possible that we would have otherwise never have known. Because the Bible reveals a God whose love drove him to enter our suffering and bear the worst of it in our place. The closest human re relationships are often forged in difficult times. When you've been through the war with someone, literally or metaphorically, there's a special bond that you share. 
God has been through the war with us. He's been working to redeem the mess that we've made, and he's borne the suffering that we've inflicted. Because he has, we can know him at a whole different level. And according to the Bible, that's the point of it all. As Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'll let Re Rebecca McLaughlin have the last word. She writes this, Christians are promised that one day God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying, mourning, nor pain anymore. But we're not promised that God will not allow us to cry in the first place. What end could possibly be worth all this pain? Jesus says he is. I wonder if you can think of ways that you've drawn near to God because of your suffering, not just in spite of it. Leave a comment and let me know. Or let me know how you relate to McLaughlin's answer to the problem of evil and suffering. If this is new to you and you think it's something you'd like to explore, I've written a 12-week course called The Unstuck Life that walks you through the essentials of Jesus' teachings in daily bite-sized messages you can read or watch by video. To learn more, go to gracebc.ca forward slash get unstuck. That's all for this time. Today's video has helped you get out of neutral. Leave a comment, share it with your friends, and subscribe to join us on the journey.